So the last few times you've seen me up here, I've been preaching from the book of Mark. We're going to go back to the book of Mark. So if you have your Bibles, open it up to Mark chapter 1. I know you're thinking Mark chapter 1 is the fourth sermons on Mark, but it's okay. There's a lot of stuff here. I know you're looking, you're like, um, well, it's only 16 chapters. I mean, how's there, that, that was, <laughs> there's a lot of stuff in Mark, believe me. Um, and I love digging into it and, and, and just wrestling through what Mark wants to share with us. And if you remember, um, the first time I preached, it was about the gospel. Like, this is the gospel. The gospel is good news. And for the gospel to be good news, it must invade bad places. And Mark starts off with going back to the prophecies of old. Like, this is coming. It will get bad, folks. But the rescuer's coming. And the good news about this is we understand that it's going to get bad for us on this earth before he comes back again. But guess what? He's coming. Yes. Amen. Right? He is not short in his promises. He hasn't forgotten you. He hasn't forgotten us. His absence, in a way, is not an absence. It's just the veiled darkness that we're going to get to see through. But the beauty is, as Paul would say, is that darkness is already brought to light through Jesus Christ. And so as we begin to look to Jesus Christ, as we begin to set our focus on Jesus, as we begin to gaze upon him, it becomes clearer, it becomes brighter. Remember the song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, and all the things of this world will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And it's his glory and grace as we begin to focus on. And that's why, you, you'll hear me, I'm going to lead song, a lot of songs about the grace of God. You know why? Because if we tune our eyes to Jesus, all this other stuff's going to melt away. And he's going to become clear. His purpose for our life is going to become clear. His goal for our life is going to be clear. Our sorrows are going to decrease. Our worries are going to decrease. The, the negative in our, our life, the void, is going to be filled with the love and the, precious pre and the presence of Jesus Christ. Yeah. And so that's a lot to say. That's how Mark wants to introduce you to Jesus. And then he follows that with Jesus going to be baptized, him declaring, look, I am the fulfillment of God's promise. And then he goes right into the wilderness. And I talked about the times in, in our lives where God will take us into the wilderness. And in the wilderness, he is shaping you and he's shaping me. And the wilderness is hard and it's tough, but our response in the wilderness is what matters. And we looked at what Jesus' response in the wilderness was as he was there. And his response was full obedience to the Father. And he proved himself. God did not send Jesus into the wilderness to destroy him. And that's what I was hoping to convey to you that, that morning is that God doesn't lead us into the wildernesses to destroy us, but to prove it. He, he sent Jesus into the wilderness to prove that Jesus was the Son of God, that he was the worthy atonement, that he was the Lamb that would be worthy to be sacrificed and atone for all our sins and redeem us. And as we go into the wilderness, it's to prove that he's still good. It's to prove that he is with us. It's to prove that he is strong. It's to prove that he is right and just. And so all of that, now Jesus begins his ministry. And so that's where we're going to start today. We're going to look at it today. And so that's in Mark um, 1. We're going to start in verse 14. And I'm going to break this up and kind of read through segments. And we're going to jump into it. Um, but the key thing here is, is we're going to see that when Jesus begins to speak, it says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Jesus starts off his ministry, the kingdom of the, the time is fulfilled. What time would that be talking about? 
He's talking about the time of his father's plan. The Bible is very explicit to let us know that before anything, before the first molecule of life came together, God had already planned a purpose. He had already set in flow what he was going to do. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were full in agreement of what they would do to, to create mankind. They knew mankind would be rebellious and run away and what they would do to redeem mankind. And so Jesus is now, the time has come and he's ready and he's excited. The kingdom of God will be established here on earth. So Christ is building his kingdom. And he has chosen to build it through your story. And that's what we're going to unpack today. And here in Mark, Jesus is fulfilling the kingdom of God. This promise that Jesus would restore all things back to God, restore the relationships, and he would restore his people in perfect relationship to the Father. In fact, Leviticus 26, 9 through 13, it says this. This is the promise that God gave us. I will turn to you and make you fruitful and multiply you and will confirm my covenant with you. Amen. Isn't that good news? That, that God of heaven would not just send us in this cosmic rotation and leave us alone. But know that he would come and he would make you fruitful and he would multiply you and he would confirm his covenant with you. And you will eat the old store long cap and what this means is you're going to eat last year's harvest. And why are you going to eat last year's harvest? Won't you catch this? This is why he would say eat last year's harvest. Why would you eat last year's harvest? Come on, somebody. More is coming. And so, yeah, Jesus came and he fulfilled the Old Testament requirement. And he gave us the New Testament. But I hope you see in your life, when Jesus begins to come on the scene, when Jesus begins to move in you and shape you and, and work his will in you, that there's an old that goes away and there's a new that comes. Yeah. And sometimes as you walk with the Lord, you find yourself filling up your barns. I don't know, maybe you don't do this, but I, I tend to do this. I have good times with, my, with God and they're just great times with God and I just soak them in and I keep them. I mean, I'll go have a prayer time. It'll be great. I'll have my own little personal worship time and it will be sweet. And I just keep it. And I store it in my barn. And I store it in my barn. And I read through the Bible and I get a nugget and I just store it in my barn. And I just store it in my barn. And then all of a sudden I figure out, well, God, why aren't you talking to me? God, why aren't you sharing with me? God, why aren't you speaking to me? God, where are you at, God? He goes, well, you ain't got no room for me. And so this morning I want to challenge us to think What's in your barn that needs to be cleaned out? What is it that God has done in your life that you've been holding on to for a long time and you haven't shared it with others? He says, I will make you dwell among, I will make my dwelling among you. In other words, he is moving in. And I can tell you, I want Jesus to move into my neighborhood. Amen. I want him to move into this church. I want him to move into my life. I want him to move into my family. I want Jesus to be very prevalent in my life because I need him, because I want him. And my soul shall not abhor you. And, you, and I will walk among you and will be your God and you shall be my people. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt that you should not be slaves. And I have broken the bars of of your yoke and made you walk upright. 
You see, I believe the call of a discipleship is a call to be intentional about creating community. And as we begin to unpack this this morning, this is about discipleship. This is about what we do as disciples. The kingdom, Jesus is building his kingdom. And as we're going to see that he begins to bring along him men who he wants to work along with him to accomplish this goal. And as you and I know that we have been walking that same path where God has come and he's arrested our hearts. He's arrested my heart. He's arrested your heart. And he's done that to bring you into his kingdom so that you can be a leader in this kingdom. So that you can be a disciple. Now, many of you may be wondering, like, all right, so this guy has preached a couple times here. He's kind of getting his feet into things. He's getting his hands into things. And you might be wondering, like, what is my role here? Well, I want to share a little bit of that with you. There, there's a few functions that, that I kind of take on here. One is, is I do lead worship, and you, you know that. And, but... The way I lead worship, and you may want to understand this, it's super easy to lead worship. Now, singing may be another thing, but leading worship is super easy. You know why? Because all I have to do is compel you to look up. Amen. <laughs> it's that simple. I, I want to ask you and beg you and implore you and constantly encourage you to turn your gaze on Jesus. Amen. Worship is easy. Leading worship is easy. Singing, again, is another thing. Playing an instrument sometimes is another thing. The second thing is I want to equip the church for ministry. And this, this is about leading discipleship. The third thing is I want to be a catalyst for unity. You know, we have one God, one Lord and Savior, one spirit, and one bride. And God has called us to be a people unified. Amen? If you read through the Gospels, the last prayer that Jesus prayed is that he said, Father, make them one, as you and I are one. Because when we come together as one, then the Spirit is there in the midst of us, and he does great things. So one of my efforts here is to be a catalyst for discipleship. And the question that every church has always faced is, how do we accomplish discipleship, right? I mean, it's, a, it's something that we look to, like, how do we do this? And so for me, when I approach this idea, it starts from a philosophical kind of point. And so for me, I'm a, like a principled kind of a guy. I don't know if, that, if you know what that means. It's like, I don't have a set of rules in my life that I live by. You'd probably figure that out. Pastor John has really figured that out. <laughs> I don't really have a set of rules that I live by. Now, my wife, she's a rule follower, and so the, she's on the rules. But me, I, I am a little more free-spirited than that. But I do have principles, and the principles matter. And these principles are what I stand on. And the rules can change and shape and you can do things differently, but you don't ever change the principle. It's kind of like this. How many uses are there for a paperclip? Some of you are like, it's one. And some of you are like, oh, no, there's like a thousand. You're like, well, what do you mean? You go, well, how big is the paperclip? I mean, because if it's big, we could do something. Can we stretch it out? Like, can we reshape it? Can we it? And so, but the thing is, is, there's a principle. Is the principle is like, okay, we just have this piece of metal, whatever it is. That's the principle. We don't deviate from that. We're stuck there. But what we shape it into, what we do with it, can totally change. 
And so as I look at discipleship, it's, you know, I, I try to wade through, well, what has the church done for years? What is, how has the church done it? Why have they tackled it? And then I wrestle through the scriptures. God, what do you say about discipleship? What do you want us to be and do when it comes to how people grow in the knowledge of Christ? And here at Christ Chapel, you, you know that we have, we have our big mission statement. And this, it, it, it's very simple. You know it. Win the lost. Disciple the found. Pastor John knows it. Maybe everybody else will know it. Mend the, there we go, and send the, see, you know this. And this is our goal, is it not? This is why we come together. This is the unifying factor of why we're here. We are here to win the lost. We are here to disciple the found. We are here to mend the broken so that we can send the whole. And this morning, you probably found a little piece of paper in your seat or the one next to you, and we'll get to that in a little bit. I know you're probably wondering. But you'll see this. This is basically probably our, I would say our mission statement here is that we are a people, as a church, this is a church where people matter to God and to us, where the gospel transforms lives, and when we do life together. That's who we have to be, church. And this is the unity that pulls us in tight. This is a unity that keeps us in track of where God is taking this church. This is the vision that he's spoken into the leadership. And we get on board and we go, yeah. And so this morning is the how-to to this, I believe. How do we become this type of church? How do we do this? And how do I, as a pastor and minister, help do that? Because you understand, as I read the scripture, the work of ministry is not on me. I'm probably wrecking somebody's theology right now. The work of ministry is not on me. I don't know, you may have grew up in church where the pastor did everything. And if he did, he was wrong and the people were wrong. But the work of ministry is not on Pastor John. It's not on me. The work of ministry is on you. Now, the problem is, is I have a greater burden. Because my burden is to equip you for ministry. Equip you for every good work. And so this morning, that's what I hope to do. Amen? So let's pray and then we'll start to unpack. Dear Heavenly Father, I do, I pray over myself this morning, God, that I would decrease and you would increase. God, that my words become weak and your words would become strong. God, that you would plant your words in the hearts and the ears of your people today. God, that you would speak life and wholeness, that your word would go forth and do with that which it said it would do. And God, cause us this morning to pause and think, Who are we as disciples? What does that look like in my life? And am I doing it the way you called me to? So speak to us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now in Mark chapter 1, and I'll jump on this and try to go really fast. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came in the Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets, and they followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boats mending nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father, Zebedee, with the boat, and with the hired servants that followed him. And so this morning, I hope to kind of give you a very concise outline 
of what we're going to talk about. But the main thing is that Jesus is calling disciples. And we're going to talk about what a disciple is this morning. And there are five points that I have. One is a a disciple takes God seriously, not himself or themselves. Two is that a disciple is consecrated to God. Three, a disciple creates community. Four, a disciple pursues others. And five, disciples lead worship. And I want to unpack those for you this morning. And in the first part of Mark, we see that Jesus begins his ministry with winning disciples, not working miracles. Catch that. Jesus begins his ministry here in the book of Mark. Now, in Luke, it's different because he starts with a, the, the wedding at Canaan. And Luke is wanting you to see a different side of the gospel. But for Mark, Mark's intents are different. And he wants you to see that the, dark, the gospel starts in, in a dark place and he will take us through a wilderness to shape us, but the shaping of us is to send us into kingdom work. And so he starts with the kingdom work and here's the kingdom work. It doesn't start with miracles. It starts with relationships. Now some of that you may change your thinking this morning. I hope it does. But think about this. Jesus does not start his ministry with a miracle. He does miracles and Mark talks about them. But this is not how he starts it. He starts it with relationships. You know, and for me, one of the key things I believe is that as I've noticed through the church through years that there was this thing that kind of came on the scene in the 80s when they wanted to answer how discipleship took shape and place. It was, they began to create programs. They began to create these, well, if you'll do this program and this work study or this book, or if we'll shape this ministry, discipleship will happen. And so there was this idea that discipleship would happen through our actions. Like if we did X, Y, Z, equal discipleship. And as a young man, I grew up in church, and I didn't think that that was really, I wouldn't see the fruit of that. In fact, I saw a lot of people who were in church who were very mature in church, but who were very immature in God. I had saw people who had been to every single Sunday school class, but they had never seen the face of God. How can that happen? Because they had never been discipled. They had been informed, but they'd never been discipled. And church, it is not our goal to inform you. It's our goal to disciple you. It's not our goal just to give you one-liners that you can use as a weapon against your lost friends, but it's to get you to be the disciple, a follower of Jesus. And this is what it looks like this morning. You see, I believe that discipleship is a fruit of community. See, a lot of times we like to make discipleship what we're trying to do. And I believe if we will do community, discipleship will outflow from that. If we will invest in the lives of others, if we will empty our barns for others, then God will create discipleship through that. That's what I believe. You see, Jesus is still winning disciples. Here you'll see that God calls men who are busy. Satan calls men who are idle. If you are not busy in God, you may want to think about that statement. No, no, it's like, oh, he's just trying to get workers in the church. Yes, I'm trying to get workers in the church. (laughs) Not just because we need workers but because there's a lost people out there who need the gospel. Amen. Amen. Yes. 
And what happens when they walk through this door? Because this isn't about us marketing who we are to the city. This is about being a, 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 a lighthouse in the middle of this city as when people who are lost and de- decrepit are looking, going, where can I find hope? Where can I find peace? They look and go, there's Christ's chapel. I don't know, I'm just going to go. And they show up here, what's going to happen? Amen. Oh, well, John will preach and it'll be good. Oh, it will be. But that's not how we make disciples, is it, Pastor John? One of the most profound things I ever heard, learned here, was this statement Pastor John would make almost every Sunday. He would say, this is the huddle, that's the game. And I love football, so that connects with me. I get it. Because if we're not discipled, the game never happens. This stage is not the arena. This stage is not the field. That's the field. Christ's work is people. If you listen to me long, you're going to hear a few phrases that come out of my mouth. And these are like little phrases I, I use to help like shape my thoughts. I don't know. You, you may have some of those. Uh, maybe they're like, you like have famous quotes, right? You may have a few famous quotes. I, I've got a few. I love them. But I have these phrases that I've kind of developed that help me understand ministry. And one of those is people over programs. And the reason I say people over programs is because Jesus, the work of Christ is people. Jesus didn't come and establish a program. He wasn't establishing a feeding ministry. He fed the 5,000, but he wasn't starting a feeding ministry. He healed the sick, but he wasn't starting a healing school. He preached in the synagogue, but he wasn't starting a school of prophets. Now, he sends out those things, yes. But what Jesus is doing, Jesus' work is people. And it's people over programs. And so many times in church, we can get focused on a program, and we can go through the ruts and the motions, and we can do these things, but these things never end up in people. Sometimes. Sometimes. And so the question we have to ask is what, we do, is what we are doing about people or is it about programs? Because, you know, sometimes programs die. They need to die. The problem is programs never die. They just go on and on and on forever. And then nobody shows up. You got two people in a room going, oh, we're gonna do, we just got to get more people in here. No, you need to cut that program down and start a new one. Or start a new ministry or go talk to somebody. You see, it's about face-to-face, not stage-forward. See, in this building on a Sunday morning, it's all stage-forward. Everybody's looking at this stage, but that is not the ministry and the work of Christ. It's face-to-face. You know, oftentimes, we will program discipleships. We try to work it. But discipleship is the fruit of community. And if we will work on community, then discipleship will flourish. So the first thing a disciple is, is a disciple takes God seriously, not himself. And you'll see through ver- verse uh, 16 through 20 here, when Jesus is calling his disciples, I mean, look at who he's calling. First he says, I will make you. The work and the onus of who you are in Christ is on God. 
See, a lot of times in discipleship, we think it's up to us to do this. Yes, there is a part that we step into it, but the onus is on God. If we will get on his program, on his timetable, on his plan, on his purposes, then we will see ourselves become very discipled. If we will, in the middle of the night when God stirs you, if you will get up and talk to him, you will find yourself growing in God. When you see that person and God says speak and you speak, you will see yourselves to start to grow in God. But the problem is, is too many times we wake up in the middle of the night and we're like, "Ah, I'll talk to you in the morning. And God's like, I won't be here in the morning. I'm here now. Or we have that person that we know, we know, we know we're supposed to say something to. We don't know what it is, but we're supposed to say something to them. And we never even make the first initial because we think we should already know what the conversation should be before we make it. And God's going, no, in faith, say it. In faith, step out. But he says, I will make you. Paul puts it this way in Galatians 6. He says, I want you to carefully explore who you are and the work that you've been given. And then sink yourself into that work. Don't be impressed with yourself and don't compare yourself to others because each of you must take responsibility for doing your creative best for God. Ephesians 2, he would kind of say like this, for we are his workmanship. Or you are God's raw materials. We're created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And then there is something we're to walk into. There is a walking that we do, yes. But the walking is his. Where we go is his. We are his raw materials. We are the bricks the stones. We are the sticks. You see, when Jesus called them, they were working together. Do you notice he called brothers here? When I saw that, I was just like, that is so cool. He called them in pairs. Some of you aren't growing as disciples because you're trying to do it by yourself. Where's your brother? Where's your brother? The, I mean, the one who can look at you and, you know, like your, your, your brother growing up did. If you had a brother, he's the one who could look at you and say, why are you being dumb? Right? Okay, it was just my brother. Sorry. Um, but the brother is the one who can do that, who can look at you and call you out. The one who will go beat you up when you're being ridiculous or just because you need it. They were brothers. They responded quickly in quick obedience. It's interesting you'll see Mark uses this word, and this is just in the ESV. He uses this word immediately 35 times. Now, I don't know if that means anything to you. 35 times seems like a lot to me, especially when you're talking about 16 chapters. <laughs> 35 times. He uses this word immediately. When was the last time you were immediate with God? And that's what Mark wants us to see, that with God there is this immediacy, that we should be ready. We should be have our stuff in order. Paul might say like this, be ready at any occasion to give reason for the gospel. What about at lunch today? Will you be ready to give reason for the gospel? What about at work on Monday? Immediately, 
They trusted God to use their story to write the story of others. You see, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. You see, he didn't diminish their purpose and their role. He gave them a higher purpose and a higher goal. He did not destroy who these men were, for he had made them. Don't you think about this. Jesus knew that he would go to fishermen and call them to be disciples. Now, in my thinking, I'd have been like, well, if they're going to be disciples and they need to study the scriptures, they should be in the temple. That would be my thinking. They should be men who are already ready and learned. And God goes, oh, they are. They are. They're learning in a different school, though. And some of you have been taught and did a different school, and you're like, ah, well, you know, my school wasn't any good. Hang on. These are fishermen. And they had been taught in the art of fishing. For they knew what it was to be on a lake when the storm comes up. Some of you are connecting the dots here. Because as a minister of the gospel, do you know what it's like to sit on a lake when the storm comes? When one minute it's all peaceful and the next minute it's a storm? Or how about when you've labored all night long and you've got no results? Because sometimes ministry feels like that. Like you've labored for hours and hours and hours and days and days and days and weeks and weeks and weeks and months and months and months and there's no fruit and there's no evidence and you're just, why am I wasting my time? Oh, don't, I made you. I made you. And fishermen, they had to work together. Because you had a big old net you threw out and you weren't pulling in that net if you caught a load by yourself. You see, Christ did not destroy who these men were, but he takes their story, who they are, and he uses it for their purpose. Jesus took who they were, all that they had gained from their labor, and elevated it to a higher purpose. That they would not just be fishermen, but fishers of men. That they would take all the lessons that they had taken on those waters, and they would use them for the kingdom. And God has been writing your story, filling your books full of lessons that you have learned in the school of hard knocks. And he's been teaching you those things. You know why? Because he's wanting to unpack them. Disciples are consecrated to God, number two. Second Corinthians 7, 1 says this. Since you have these promises... What does he mean by these promises? Well, it's the promises that we'd be made fruitful. It's the promise that God would walk among us. It's the promise that he would make us to walk upright. The ones we read out of Leviticus earlier. Beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. You see, discipleship is about taking God seriously but it's also about being living a consecrated life. You see, Jesus' first work was to consecrate the temple. In verse 21, after he calls the disciples, it says, And then he went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. 
And they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere through all the surrounding regions of Galilee. You see, Jesus starts his work cleaning the temple. Church, we are the temple. And if you have a secret sin, it's time. If you've been living on stale bread, it's time. Clean out your barn. If, you've, if your affections have been stolen away, it's time to return to the Lord. A few weeks ago, about, probably about a month ago, Pastor John preached on Hebrews 12. If you haven't heard that sermon, go get it. And if you haven't followed through in obedience to what he preached, let's do it, church, can we? Because I believe, I truly believe this in my heart, that God is about to break loose. You may not, that's fine. I really, truly believe in my heart that God is about to break loose. And he's looking for a people who will immediately run with him. If you are weighed down and burdened by all your sin and your worries and your stuff, you will not be ready to run. Church, are you ready to run? You see, this is not an issue of right or wrong. This is an issue of, not just an issue of right or wrong, it is, but it's also an issue of priorities. Have you put the kingdom of God first? Jesus starts out, he's saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Church, have we put the kingdom of God at first or have we put the kingdom of God at first? Have we put the kingdom of me, have we put the kingdom of my kids, the kingdom of my work, the kingdom of my other things ahead of the kingdom of God? Ephesians 4, Paul would tell us this, walk in a manner worthy of the calling. And this isn't just a word to me or to Pastor John, this is a word to us. Are you walking in a manner worthy of your calling? There is a calling on your life. Number three, disciples create community. This is a really cool one I love. You see, here in the next verse, and immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew. You know, disciples opened their home for ministry. When was the last time you opened your home for ministry? So think about it. You see, Disciples care about intentional community. And this is another word you'll hear from me. Um, this is one thing when uh, Pastor John has alluded to it. Me and my wife, we were on staff at a church and it was going great and it was good. And we were loved on, the people loved us. Uh, it seemed like when we would do things, they would flourish. And it was going really good. And then all of a sudden God said, you're done. And I'm like, what does that mean? He goes, you're done. I'm like, okay, um, what's next? You're done. <laughs> you know, sometimes God will just say, you're done with this and won't tell you what the next thing is. Well, he did that to me. And um, it, it took me several months to, to really walk through what that meant. And the next thing I know, me and my wife pack up everything. We, we give away half our things we own and we pack up the rest and we drive all the way across country out to Bend, Oregon. And we move all the way across country to help a friend of mine start a church. And I go without a title and without a paycheck and without any of these things. And I'm like, God, this is the dumbest thing in the world. I just left a good paycheck. I left a good steady everything to go follow you. 
But you know why I would do that? Because God said, I want you to go build some intentional community. And what does that mean, intentional community? You might be thinking, like, what is that even termed? It's, you know, we like to think, oh yeah, we, we care about it, community. But I'm gonna tell you, you don't care about a community unless you're intentional about it. Unless it's a priority in your life, you don't care about it. You know how I know? Because your kids are a priority. And when they cry in the middle of the night, you get up and do something about it. That's a priority. But if you haven't had somebody in your, at your table in a long time, then it's not a priority. And church, I would encourage you, let's make community a priority in our life. You know, to be intentional means that there's a purpose. It's not just haphazard. There's a, there's a purpose. Many of you have already been in our house. It's something we're very purposed about. We try at least once or twice a week to have someone at our table. Now that's a lot of work, yes. That's a lot of cleaning up the house, yes. That's a lot of purpose, yes. But we want our table to be at the place of ministry. It means it's planned. Yes, I means you have to get, in, get on the phone with people and you have to text people and you have to make sure that they're open. And then there's a continuance about it. It's not just a one-time deal. This isn't just, just something that happens once in my life and I walk away from it. This is a continuance. There's a commitment to this. And as you read, you will see through the Gospels that the church was committed to being together. Read the book of Acts. They were committed to having each other in their homes. They were committed to breaking bread together. They were committed to doing life together. Church, are we a church where we do life together? Another phrase I like to use is called table well. <laughs> I told you I have these weird phrases. You'll, you'll kind of pick up on them. At least you'll understand what I'm talking about. But the question is, do you table well? In other words, are you good at being intentional about community and having people at your table in your house? Are we good at that? Because I really believe that the gospel calls us to it. I really believe that the gospel calls us to table well with each other. In fact, it was Jesus at a table who broke bread to his disciples You see, in the Old Testament, the altar was used to restore relationship with God. It was a place where covenants were renewed. And often it was set up in a conspicuous place, and clearly meaning, meaning that it was clearly visible. In Leviticus 6.9, 6, Leviticus 6, God commands the priest that the fire on the table should never go out. Is your table an altar? Is your table an altar? Is it a place where renewed covenant happens? Is it a place where relationships are restored? I want to challenge you this morning, church. You see, Jesus taught in the synagogues, but his ministry took shape and form in homes. You see, homes are the, are the axiom of ministry. They're the hub. They're the wheel bearings, and everything else is connected to that and spins around. Ministry biblically is designed to flow out of your and my home. Ministry is designed to flow out of your 
in my home. You see, we often like to do this as the place of ministry. Trust me, it's amazing. I love getting here and meeting with you guys on a Sunday morning. But you may tell you what encourages me more is when a family like the Barnes invites me over to their house for dinner. That charges me. That strengthens me. When I get to go share a birthday, that charges me. You see, because that's where ministry really starts to happen. Because that's where we get to know each other. That's where we get to be known. That's where we get to speak scriptures that put fire in somebody else's heart. That's where we weave with each other. That's where we cheer with each other. You see, the fire was, they were told the fire was not supposed to go out. Sir, is there a fire at your table? You're the priest of your home. Is there a fire at your table? Maybe with your kids. Maybe you guys don't even sit together for dinner. If you don't, I'd sure enough challenge you to do it. Is there a fire on your table? Does it burn for the Lord? You see, here in the home of Simon and Andrew, Jesus goes in, and the mother-in-law is sick. And so she, she, they, they, he said, Jesus, bring her out. She comes. He prays for her and heals her. Now, you know what the cool thing Mark points out in the next of this story? Is that immediately she got up and served them. Are you empowering others to operate in their gift? You see, the healing, what happened in that home empowered the mother-in-law to walk in her giftings. What happens in your home will empower others to walk in their giftings. You're like, oh, I'm not a pastor. Yes, you are. You're a pastor of your home. Is your home a place of life-giving ministry? You see, it was the story of Simon's mother-in-law's healing that drew people. So here you have a story. Jesus goes into Simon and Andrew's house, and he's having dinner with them. He goes into the mother-in-law's sick. She's got a fever. She's no good. He prays for her. She's healed. She immediately gets up and serves them. And then the word gets out around the town. Jesus is here. Awesome things are happening. Why don't you come? And where did they go? Did they go to the synagogue? No, they all showed up at Simon and Peter's house, Simon and Andrew's house, right? And so here they are at Simon and Andrew's house, and life-giving ministry happens. It will be your story, how God has worked in you. It will be the story of your family that God wants to use to draw people to him. Catch this, church. You are the parable. Jesus preached in parables many times. You are the parable. Your story matters. What's going on in your life matters. If it didn't matter, Mark would not have said that they were fishermen. He would have said God called disciples. But he didn't say God called disciples. He said God called fishermen. Why? Because the story matters. It matters to God. 
And it matters to the person who's in your life. Matthew would say it this way, you are the light of the world. But you are God's parable. God's kingdom has never been about a building. It has always been about a people. A people who have a heart for him that are about the work of his kingdom. So church, can we build tables over barns? That's another phrase I like to use. Sorry, you're going to get all these phrases. I'm dumping them all on you today. So write them down. You'll at least know what I'm talking about when I say them. But there's a parable in Scripture where the, the rich man, he has a large harvest and he builds a bigger barn. And the Bible says that he's judged on that. That God said, tonight your soul be required of you because you, you didn't operate properly. And every time I read that, it's just something... A way for me to understand that scripture and pull it into my life and make it applicable is, is, is a little saying. It's, it's just what I do. But my question is, am I building, when I find myself with extra, am I building longer tables or bigger barns? Yeah, I mean, me and my wife purposely budget part of our income so that we can spend extra on food to have people at our house. When we go shopping for a house, we go, okay, can we have people here? How many people can I get in my house? Okay, can people park in the driveway? Where are they going to park? How are they going to enter? How are they going to be around? Like that enters the thinking of how we buy a house. Why? Because people over programs. Longer tables over bigger barns. The fourth thing, disciples pursue others. What does it mean to pursue? This is another word of intentionality. This means that we are intentional about it, that we go after people. We know their stories. We know who their kids are. We know what their hobbies are. We know what their interests are. We listen to them. We've already got to meet about half our neighborhood, which is pretty cool, because you learn lots of things about people. Start meeting your neighbors. Is that you, church? Is that us? Are we intentional? Do we pursue others? I remember we lived in one neighborhood, and um, there's a, there's a joy to pursuing people. Uh, we we learned that couple down this couple houses down the street from us was two sous chefs, and that's like, oh yeah, you want to you want to get to know them, right? I, I love food. I just have to say, it. I love food. Uh, I can't do dairy, but I love food. Other than cheese and, and sour cream, I'm pretty good. And so uh, this, they worked at this fancy restaurant in town, and one of the dishes that they created that they loved to make, it was Krispy Kreme uh, bread pudding. <laughs> if you have never had that, I, that, is, that, was, that was the manna. I, when the Israel was walking through the wilderness, I guarantee you Krispy Kreme bread pudding fell from heaven and was on the ground. It was amazing. And then to top it off, they're like, oh, you know, I, I, I got this. I'm like, my plate's too small. I need a bigger plate. And then she's like, hang on, hang on. It, to top this off, you need this espresso drizzle. I was like, oh. Any coffee lovers in the house, you know what I'm talking about. So they poured that espresso over there. And I eat that and I'm going, oh, I'm so glad I met my neighbors. <laughs> There's a joy to meeting your neighbors, church. 
And there's also some crazy moments you'll walk through with your neighbors. I remember the first time Inbrook moved here, we lived out on Crumps Park. Anybody know where that's at? Off Vineville? Don't, don't go live over there. <laughs> but there was a guy who lived across the street. I got to know him, and he was into, um, he collected model cars, Hot Wheels, tons of them. And he loved to show them off. And so I would go over to his house and see his collection of antique model cars. See, this is why you get to know people. It's, it's fun. And I remember one day, me and my wife were sitting, and we're watching TV, we're sitting there, and all of a sudden, this rattle on the door, like, like, a ma- like crazy man beating on the door. And I'm like, man, what's up? So I open the door, and he's standing there, and he goes, dude, guess what? And I'm like, I don't know, did you win the lottery? Huh? I'm thinking all happy. He's like, man, somebody stole your truck. I look around him, and my truck's not there. And he's like all freaked out and hyper. He's like, Meh. so he's taking me over. Somebody had stolen my truck and rode it down the hill and crashed it into a tree and totaled my truck. And so I'm out there. And I'm like, I don't know. I'm just like, oh, Lord Jesus, help us. And this guy is frantic. And he looks at me and goes, why are you so calm? He goes, I'm more hysterical than you are. And I said, I know, it's okay. God's got this. And I had an immense opportunity in the midst of a storm. Because I'm telling you, I, we didn't have any money back then. And I sure enough didn't need to be down one vehicle. And it was definitely something to be distraught over. I should have been. But I remember in that moment, there was this peace of God that just had covered me. And it was a peace that covered me that he noticed. And later on, his mom was sent to a nursing home and he was very distraught in that and he came to me. And he shared his burden. And you know how I got to hear his burden? Because in the midst of the storm, he had saw the peace in me and he goes, man, there's a peace there. I, I want to get to know it. You see, disciples pursue others and we're intentional about it. You see, this instills value. Who is with you? I want to ask you this morning. Who, who is with you? When Jesus called the disciples, he called them in pairs. You know what's interesting? He also sent them in pairs, if you'll read later on. I want to ask you, who's with you? Who are you pursuing? Are there, there should be two people in your life. I want to challenge you to, to do this today, to mark down in your Bible or on a piece of paper, name two people you will pursue. Just put their names down. And then I'll ask you another thing. Who is with you? Who's your brother? Who's your brother that will go with you to pursue these people? Who is with you on this journey? You see, Jesus then goes, and I'd like to kind of keep reading, but I don't want to extend the time too much. But go home and read this. When Jesus leaves there, he goes to a quiet place and prays. And there's this, back to this idea of consecration. Jesus goes and he spends time with the Father. You see that he went and he poured himself out in ministry, but then he went and got recharged with the Father. There's this consecration in which a disciple lives in. And the consecration isn't just walking away from things that are bad, but they're also embracing the things that are ahead of us that God has prepared. And Jesus, if he would not go spend time with his Father, would not be able to step into what's ahead. 
And so the next thing after that, he's out praying. The disciples come find him. They're like, hey, man, we got a large crowd together. We got a church service, man. They've already started the music. Man, everybody's ready. All the people are there to get healed. And Jesus is like, well, let's go to another town. But wait, they got a church service over there. They all gathered up. They got a big venue. They rented out the town square. No, let's go to this town. You see, Jesus was always going after the lost sheep. He was always going after the disenfranchised. Most of Jesus' ministry was done in Galilee. Now, Galilee is, make sure I get this right. Galilee is 98 miles from Jerusalem. Jerusalem was a center of worship for Israel. In other words, you went to, you went to Jerusalem to worship. Now, if you live 98 miles away, that's a three-day journey. It'd take you three days to walk from Galilee to Jerusalem. So think, process this with me. So if you're like, I'm going to go, I got to go to church. If it takes you three days to walk to church and you have, and then you leave and it takes you three days to walk back, what happens when you get home? Time to turn around and go back in, right? So how often do you think these guys were in Jerusalem worshiping? You know, there are a lot of people in this world who are very God awake, but they're very church dead. And that was the thing that amazed me when we moved across country to Ben is we kept running into people. God kept putting people in our life who loved him. Catch this, church. They loved God. They would disciple their kids. They would teach their kids about the gospel, but they did not enter the door of a church. They saw great value in God. They saw very little value in his bride. And I'm gonna tell you, church, I'm broken with that. Because God loves his church. He loves his bride. He loves his bride so much that he would die for his bride. But there's the lost sheep of Israel that Jesus came to draw in. Church, will you pursue the disenfranchised? You see, there's a lot of people that want to worship God. A lot of people who care about worship God, they just don't have a place to worship God. They don't have a people to worship God with. Will you be their people? Will you be their people? I already told you, worship's easy. Worship's easy. Oh, turn your eyes upon Jesus. It's easy. It's that simple. So there's a God awake, church-separated group of people that God is calling us to pursue. Another term you're gonna hear me is space and place. Is, are we creating space and place in our lives for people to come? See, God will draw his people. God will bring his people. He'll bring people to this church. He'll bring people to his kingdom. He will bring people to your doorstep to preach the gospel to. He will bring people in your life for you to pursue. It's funny, one way in which I lead up here, you'll notice that every now and then you're gonna see an instrument that's empty. You know why? Because I want people out there who are sitting there looking going, man, I, there's a way I can get involved. If you've noticed, there are three keyboards on the stage this morning. And everyone was being played. Last week, everyone wasn't being played. But see, it creates new space and place for people to get plugged into ministry. Church, do we create space and place for people? If we're going to be intentional about having people in our home, have you created space and place? Is your house cleaned up? I knew a couple in ministry. They were the sweetest couple I've ever met in ministry probably. I went over to their house and there were hoarders. 
I'm going, your house will never be open for ministry. I don't even have a place to sit. There was not one place to sit. Lastly, disciples lead worship. After this, Jesus is out there and this leper comes to Jesus and he begs him, he's crying out, God, cleanse me, cleanse me, cleanse me, cleanse me. And Jesus did and he sent the man whole. And what he did is when he, when he healed him, he said, don't go tell everybody what's happened. He said, go give the offering for your cleansing. You see, the thing that had happened, this leper, he could never enter the temple. This leper was never able to go into the temple and worship God. When Jesus came and did a work in this man's life, he allowed him to go into the temple and worship. If we are disciples, we will restore worship into people's lives. And that's what Jesus did. We see the same thing happen in Acts 3 when Peter is at the gate of beautiful and there's a lame man. The lame man could not enter the temple, but he stood at the gate. And what do we see the next thing happens when this guy gets healed? He is in there worshiping. Many times we want our healing and our miracle so that our life is easy. But may I submit to you, maybe you haven't got your miracle today because the last time you did, you did not respond in worship. You thought your miracle was for you. Your miracle is for others. Church, the things that God has done in your life is a story for others. Your healing is not for you. It's to grow his kingdom. So I want to ask you, do you lead worship? Are you a worship leader? Worship is very easy. Can you compel people to look at Jesus? Can you show them in their lives how God is at work? Can you, in a conversation with someone, listen into their story and go, oh, but look what God's doing. Oh, wait, look, do you see what God did in your life? That's what a worshiper is. So I want to close today in, with this, with your church, is that if you, you have this card that's right beside you, if you will grab that, I want you to look at this. This is what this is about. The gospel demands a response. I really, truly believe that. that When the gospel is preached to us, then when it comes over us, it demands us to do something with it. And so church today, we ask ourselves, are we kingdom-minded or are we self-minded? Are we set on his kingdom or our kingdom? And so my goal this, this next year is for us to start a small group community. We call it Family Connect. It's just a way that our family, our church family, gets connected together. And I really hope this morning as I preach that there is a call that's gone forth and you feel it in your heart. And you've been stirred and you're going, you know, I, I need to step up. God, you're talking to me today. I'm the one who needs to open my table. I'm the one who needs to open my home. I'm the one who needs to open my life. I'm the one who needs to pursue others. If that's you, this is for you. This is for you this morning. I'm talking to you. Will you partner with me? Can we work together to make this true about our church is that we live life together? You'll see on the back of the card it kind of explains a little bit about what I hope this looks like. Look at that. There's an opportunity for you to tear this off and fill it out. And what I encourage you to do is if you will, 
If, if you just have to today, you fill it, fill it out. You can leave it in your seat where you're at or you can hand it to me or you can um, hand it to one of the ushers on the way out or set it back on one of these tables. I will go look for these because this is important for our church. Maybe you just want to take it home and pray over it. Maybe you, you and your wife get together and pray over this. Maybe God has already been stirring this in your heart and you're like, oh man, yes, 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 yes. Then it's time to do this together. There's a lot of ideas I have on this. It's almost very unstructured in a lot of ways. Guys, I really believe that community leads to discipleship. And if we will get together as people of God, the Holy Spirit will show up and do something radical. And so I don't know what you like to do. Maybe you like to do country line dancing and pull people together to do that. I will not do that with you, but you knock yourself out. Maybe you just like having people at your home. You like cooking for others. Maybe you love to go bowling. Would you partner with me today, church? Maybe you look at this and you go, I I don't know, I can't lead. Mark chapter 2, right after this, Jesus opens a story and he talks about friends who brought their lame man to Jesus. Their four friends. They were so committed to doing this, they ripped the roof off the house to lower this guy in front of Jesus so Jesus could heal him. And Jesus looks at him and says, because of the faith of the four friends, Jesus healed the man and forgave his sins. Maybe you don't feel the, the need to lead one of these groups. There's a leader who needs a brother. There's a leader who needs a partner. Maybe you don't have two people to pursue, but you'll get with someone else and help them pursue. So this is my ask today. One that you'd commit to leading a family group, family connect group. Secondly, that you would find a brother. Find someone other than your spouse that you can do partner with. And if, and if you and your, your spouse want to open your home, then find another couple to do this with. Pursue others. God will bring people near you. He will bring people to you. Trust me, will you pull into disenfranchised? Will you be intentional about creating community? Will you be intentional about restoring people to worship? And I'm not talking about having a little sing-along in your living room. I'm talking about, can you help people see Jesus? Amen. Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. God, your word that is life in us, it is hope in us, it's healing in us, it's truth in us. God, your word that compels us in a response. God, I believe you're unifying our church together, God, for a purpose. God, would you burn the call in people's hearts tonight, this morning? Would you stir in them the truth of your word? We ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Thank you. Church family, would you stand with us this morning? I'm very careful in what I'm about to tell you. It won't take two or three minutes, and we can go on and be with our families. You not only heard the word of the Lord, or words from the Lord, but you heard the word of the Lord for us this morning. This church was birthed on that 
very subject. I'd always told my pastor friends, I said, read my lips. I will never be a pastor. <laughs> Ever. I just had no desire. And then we bought a house, 3597 Overlook Avenue. I woke up one morning, there's 25 kids in my driveway. Oh, the realtor didn't mention <laughs> that our house was the bus stop. <laughs> About a month in, feeding them breakfast every morning, figuring out who didn't have winter coats, those kind of things. I told my wife, I said, we got to start a church. I said, what? I said, these kids. What did you do? I just got to make my... T- I, I, got, I had a little boy ask me, Mr. John, when can you take me to church? And I checked my day timer. We didn't have cell phones back then, 25 years ago, February. I said, uh, in about three months. And as soon as I said that, one light switch went off and another one went on. I said, no, I'll take you Sunday. And Christ Chapel was born by an uneducated, very limited giftings person that said, I got a table. There's a part for every person to play. You may be the person that's personable. And the guy leading the home group might not be personable. And his wife might not be personable. Nobody can carry the conversation. And you go, I got it. Show up at their house and get everybody talking. And they thought it happened naturally, but you did it. This is the next thing the Lord's going to do in us and through us. This isn't an effort to build home groups. No. It is an effort to make us people over barns or tables over barns, people over programs. And God's going to use us. Can I tell you a 30-second quick story? I, I wouldn't embarrass this person for anything in the world, but my precious sister-in-law, we have similar journeys. And I didn't do church. You know, people that are away from God, they don't, they don't do church. And every time she come to my house... I told one of my stories to her. Something I might not have been, or something I was horribly ashamed of, or something I was free from, something. I just wanted to be the commercial. Because if I came on strong, she and I are wired so much alike. I'd shut you out. If I saw a guy coming with a big Bible, you know, on a dolly, I'd just close it and stop. But when I told her my stories, I take zero credit for the redemptive work of grace. And she was, you could just about put our stories in like born again as a little child because life beat, beat you up, people. And then in my 20s, I came back home. Well, a couple Sundays ago, I mean, of course, y'all, you know, she was, gave her life back to the Lord. It was a personal thing to her. And she was water baptized as an adult. And Kelly and her mom did that. But I look over and my sister-in-law is praying for my wife. <laughs> Got her hands on her, just, just praying for her. It didn't happen here. It happened at our table. Lord, we've heard from you today. We, I believe you have added Wade and Brooke to our church for such a time as this. And I believe 
the clarity of this part of him is going to meet the willingness of the good people of this church. And Christ is going to be elevated and proclaimed and made glorious in the lives of those that come to know you as Savior. I'm saying it publicly. I do not care if our church grows. I care if your kingdom grows, O Lord. Thank you for what's ahead of us. Thank you for people who are going to open their home up, make themselves vulnerable, be a part. And may Jesus Christ receive glory through Christ Chapel Church in the homes that make it up. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a wonderful Lord's Day. God bless you.